Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening to the people gathered here in uh, St. Michael's Cathedral, and also uh, to those who are watching this in Salt and Light and YouTube. And also, in a very special way, I want to, to greet uh, those who are at St. Joseph the Worker Parish in Oshawa and those who are at St. Edward the Confessor Parish uh, in Toronto, because we're all uh, uh, kind of gathered together in a, I don't know what we call it, a, a kind of a technological community. We're able to uh, live stream this out uh, right now to our friends in other parts of, of the diocese. And I think as the years go by, we may add on a few other uh, such places as well. So greetings to one and all. I think you can see me, but I can't see you, so <laughs> greetings. Um, the passage we're gonna be meditating upon uh, this evening uh, is one of the several passages in uh, the Bible, the New Testament, which speak of the, uh, of the conversion of St. Paul. This is probably the major one, but there are a few others as well. The conversion of St. Paul was so important, they kept referring to it uh, a couple of times in the, a uh, few times in the Acts of the Apostles, and also St. Paul himself, of course, uh, in his letters sometimes refers to it. So it's a very central passage. And it speaks to us of conversion. It speaks to us of the way in which the hand of God can touch our hearts, no matter what they are. Uh, it speaks to us of hope. If uh, St. Paul could be converted when he was breathing murderous threats against the, the Christians, well, there's, there's always a hope for each one of us. It speaks to us too, and this is what uh, is a theme in a sense of this year of the church, how we are gathered together by the Lord and the church. It speaks to us a lot about who we are as a community of the Lord's disciples on the way to, uh, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And that's why I wanted to use this, uh, bring this passage and meditate upon it um, this evening. Uh, now, one thing I discovered as the years go by, and they've been going by, uh, you know, uh, you begin to have a couple of things happen. First of all, you need glasses to read, that happens. Although I got two nice little plastic lenses in here, I need reading glasses. Uh, you also sometimes forget where you put your bifocals, uh, which I can't figure where they are. They're back in the house somewhere. So as I discovered that as I was coming out, I thought, oh, where are they? I do have my reading glasses, but it means that I'm gonna have to look perhaps a little avuncular. I'll, I'll kind of go like this from time to time and look over the glasses. So that, that might actually give the illusion of wisdom or something like that. And if it does, that's an added bonus. But anyway, we'll do what we can. So let's uh, get ready now uh, as we prepare to meditate prayerfully upon the great St. Paul. And always, as when we're doing Lexa Divina, to ask within our hearts, what does this passage say now to me, to my head, to my heart, to my hands, to know, to love, and to serve? What does it say? Especially where I am right now in this part of my life. This is the marvelous thing, we're all so different. And each day is a different day. And what this passage might have said to me yesterday may be different than it does today. So we pray the Holy Spirit to guide us so that it may illuminate our understanding, increase our fervor, and call us to reach out to serve other people. We always know that the Annunciation always leads or should lead to the visitation. Experience of God to service. That's the way we should be. And we see that certainly in St. Paul. So as we enter into it, let's, let's think of that particularly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we may know your word, and that we may be more faithful followers of the way of the Lord Jesus. Take away from us, O oh Lord, all those barriers of our own selfishness and our sins that are like rocks on the road that block the pathway of the Lord God to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city. You will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road in which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and took food and was strengthened. For several days he was with the disciples at Damascus 
And in the synagogues immediately he proclaimed Jesus, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called on this name? And he has come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down over the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him into the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brethren knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. So we start with Saul, a person who is completely the last person you'd imagine would be the great apostle to the Gentiles. And as we hear these words of where he was from where he came and knowing where the Lord brought him, it should be a great consolation. And that is why so often these conversion stories are are important, not simply thinking of the theology of God's grace, but just hearing how it happens. This is why the lives of the saints are marvelous. It's a good idea. You can get something like Butler's Lives of the Saints or some of these things. You know, I try to do every morning, get a little thing and read what's this, who's the saint of the day, to see how the hand of God has taken someone who was so far away and brought them so close. But he did start out the one who held the robes when the people were killing Stephen and approved of what they did. Can you imagine that? Standing there while a man was being murdered by a mob and mob violence and saying, good, good. Maybe he was throwing a few stones, we don't know. So he wasn't sort of a theoretical, uh, vague, artificial, bad actor. <laughs> he, he really was pretty bad. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's energetic, talented, enthusiastic. I think the Lord saw that and said, I can use that. The only problem is you're going in the wrong direction. And so the Lord God took this immensely talented murderer and turned him around, using what he had for good and not for ill. 
And then we see the same organizational ability and enthusiasm which Saul used to arrest people. The ability, for example, to be sure to get approval from the higher-ups and organize a plan to bring people back and all that. That's the talent he used to organize the church across the Mediterranean. And we notice here what it said, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is a very early term for the followers of Jesus, the way. Uh, and it's something we should think about. It has roots in the, uh, the Jewish tradition, the halakha, where the way you walk is the law of the Lord, the way you walk. In other words, it's not just enough to have a, a thought about God, you must follow the way. And he's on his way to Damascus to do evil. They're on their way to the heavenly Jerusalem, as are we all. And so we should think of ourselves, think of the terms later on. Later on, he calls them the saints. Not that they're canonized, but they are the ones who are blessed by the power of the Lord. But here are the way, they're the one on the journey. The one who have seen that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so should we. So let's just think of these words. Think of how very bad really, really bad Saul was, not just sort of artificial bad. And how we, ourselves, in our own frailty, can turn pretty far from the Lord, but we can never go far enough from God. It's hard to go as far as Saul in killing people. We can never do that to get far enough away that the Lord does not find us. And also another sad note, which sort of reminds me of watching, uh, I've, I've deleted Twitter four times in the last two weeks, because I find it's taking up too much time, you know, but it, it's very addictive though, watching things, especially if you have the misfortune to look at Catholic Twitter, religious, you know, or religious blogs. Very often you find a great deal of uh, uh, ferociousness I often think of Saul before he got the flash of light, you know, because Saul was also, although he was doing great evil, uh, now I shouldn't, I'm nothing against Twitter, I'll probably put it back on again because there's some good stuff there too. Um, uh, but he thought he was doing right. And we should think about ourselves too. How often in thinking I'm doing right have I done great wrong, using all the talents God has given me convinced of my rectitude and have maybe been more dangerous than that. I often think of the, you know, Robespierre, the great, well, the highly talented revolutionary in the time of the French Revolution. He wasn't corrupt at all, far from it. He was known as the sea green incorruptible. He has a green coat he wore and he was incorruptible and he was chopping off heads very efficiently. So we should think about that. Let's think of pre-conversion Saul and ask the Lord to help us get out of any censoriousness we have and to have a compassionate heart. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, then enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, on a journey in which he was going the right way to do the wrong thing. And suddenly, just as suddenly, earlier on in the Gospel of Luke, suddenly the shepherds were surrounded by the choirs of angels. Suddenly. This is a theophany. This is a shining forth of Almighty God. It is what we find throughout the Old Testament. We think of Moses and the burning bush. We think of so many different times. We have that profound Abraham with the fire going between the sacrifices earlier on. It is the flashing forth of the light of the Lord God. And that is very central. The fire of theophany is profoundly important in our lives. It can turn Saul around. The light, the fire that leads us where we're called to go. And in his case, he really needed it to get through, but we all do. It's always in the experience of the worship of the Lord God that we find our way home. And we find the way as Saul, going to persecute the way, will now find the way. And so, as he journeyed in, suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. He fell to the ground. We're never so tall as when we're kneeling on the ground. Even a bit of modern uh, cinematic wisdom, actually. Um, Indiana Jones uh, is told, they know, that the penitent man will pass. In that case, you get your head chopped off if you're not on your knees, but uh, think about it. This is not exactly sacred literature, but it's true. You only get, you must walk in the name of the Lord God, and you must get onto your knees before you see the Lord. However, that's not as profound as this, obviously. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's like the voice, he's called by name. Just like Samuel, think of that, Samuel, Samuel, or earlier, Moses, Moses. God calls us by name, one-on-one, -on -one. infinite, almighty, majestic, the Lord God, flashing in light and splendor, calls this man by name, Saul, Saul. And he says, not, why are you persecuting my disciples? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says, he and his disciples are one. We are one body, one body in Christ, and we do not stand alone. I wonder how long it took Saul to really think that through. Why are you persecuting me, when you persecute the followers of the way. 
And that should make us think too. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. It is not some distant relationship. If Saul were persecuting you and me, the Lord Jesus would say to him about what he's doing to us, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Uh, and now sometimes it's translated Kyrie, it says in Kyrie eleison, um, which is the word used for God and the Lord. That's what it is in this case. Some translations say, sir, well, it is, the people would say that in a common encounter, Curier, but this is, he doesn't know who it is really, I don't think. Um, because this is his experience of the risen Lord. But he knows he's not some ordinary something. It is the Lord God coming to him. Why, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. You will be told what you are to do, Saul. Get up, go into the city, you'll get instructions. The Lord doesn't carry on a long uh, kind of conversation with him, but he says, look, Saul, here you go. Out of the experience of theophany, we find our way and we are given our instructions we find out what we're called to do, how to journey along the way. And this is one reason why we need to reflect upon the fire of theophany. The fire, there is a fire of God that purifies us and a fire of sacrifice we offer up to the Lord. But there is a fire of theophany, which is the presence of the living God in our midst. And as we are here, it's there, there, there. That is why I think the Lord Jesus gave us down through time, the experience of his abiding presence. It's why we have as a token, the gold cover to that and the light, the fire before it as in every the little, smallest, tiniest Catholic church in the world. There is the sign of the Lord who says to all who come before him, Saul, Saul, Samuel, Samuel. He calls us by name and people come here. This is right in the center of the city. They come here as they do to all the churches in different ways, all through the day to before the Lord and his majesty, to get down on their knees and pray and also, of course, to be forgiven their sins to the great gift of reconciliation. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Even when the Lord God is in our midst, sometimes if our eyes are not opened inwardly, we are not attentive outwardly. They they hear the voice, but they don't see this special message. So Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So now he can see finally, but he can't see when he can see. He's been taken away for a little bit. His, uh, the eyes which would lead him to persecute other people are 
blinded, and he's given three days of darkness in order to look with the eyes of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight, as he would later point out to us. So he has three days of darkness so that he may see the light. They led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, just as he was going to lead people in chains to Jerusalem. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank, which is appropriate as we're about to we're right about at Lent. He had that penitential time. First experience, then he must go deep, quiet, dark, silent, fasting, to let it sink in. And we are now in our own much less profound way, just a short time away from this great season of Lent, 40 days of prayer, fasting and almsgiving. So often Lent just sort of starts off and we kind of go through the motions. We can't expect it will be something as profound as what Saul was going through, but let it be something like that. So let's just ask ourselves of the, this point as God speaks to us, when have I been far away? Thank you, Lord, for bringing me home. When have I been blind when I thought I could see? Thank you, Lord, for helping me see. When have I been ferocious in my faith, but without the love that is at the heart of it? Forgive me, Lord, for that. Now there was a disciple of Damascus called Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So the Lord turns it all over to Ananias. Here we have the most important missionary in history. It just been converted. We don't want to like fumble this conversion. It just started. But the Lord doesn't bring it to completion. He hands over this massively important task to someone called Ananias, who we never hear of again. Just someone in Damascus, one of the disciples. He's given the task Ananias. He, by the way, only gets one name, Saul, Saul. The Lord, I think, is probably a lot closer to Ananias than Ananias to the Lord. He said, Ananias, hello. He brings him in. So Ananias, we don't know much about him, except um, there he is. And he's given instructions. It's, it's so interesting how the Lord God, our Lord Jesus does this. He says, you go down to the street called Straight, go over to the house of Judas, you'll find him over here. He's giving sort of detailed, uh, I don't know, it's a good thing he didn't have a, you know, one of those little devices to sort of, he's, he's actually, <laughs> almighty God is helping his friend Ananias to kind of navigate through the streets of uh, Damascus, which is the way almighty God treats us. It's kind of, it's so beautiful. He says, and notice Ananias has got the right, the best thing. He says, here I am, Lord. One call, Ananias. And his next response is a response 
It should be that of you and me all the time. Here I am, Lord, here I am. If we can only do that, our life will be so serene. It's just, that's the response. Just like our Blessed Mother, for, far more important in history than Ananias in some ways, you know, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. That is the immediate response of this obscure disciple who's just about to baptize the most important convert in history. Amazing. The Lord is so powerful, awesome, divine, majestic. Then he turns it all over to Ananias. So you take care of it. And he doesn't get excited. Ananias is uh, he's so close to God. They're on a first name basis, you know. <laughs> he's so close to the Lord God that he sort of starts, hmm, well, how's that going to happen? He starts telling Almighty God, our Lord Jesus, some things about Saul that the Lord Jesus might not know. He, he, does, he thinks perhaps the Lord has maybe gotten this a little wrong. Uh, you know, <laughs> this most obscure disciple saying, uh, well, uh, by the way, uh, so he, he gets it. Here, here I am, Lord. He said, Lord, <laughs> hello. <laughs> you know, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. That's a wonderful, that's the, the saints, the holy ones of God. We're all called to be that. Not there yet, but we're on our way. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. So you can see what Ananias thinks. This is what's going on here. I don't want to go near this, this person. But the Lord said to him, look, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Isn't that interesting? Here he says, go, for he is a chosen instrument. That's the one the Lord has chosen. And Ananias obviously doesn't understand the reasons, but this is the chosen one. I, he has been chosen an instrument. May each one of us be a supple instrument in the hands of God. So often we, we kind of fight back. We don't yield ourselves to the mission we've received. And it's a tough thing when you've got an instrument as kind of ornery as Paul. But he is my chosen instrument. To carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. The universal conversion of the world is going to be done by this man. And notice how often, I didn't count, but you can count as to what the, as you're going, how often he uses the word, the name, the name. Ananias says he's persecuting those, he has authority to bind all who call upon your name. And he says, he is the chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, the holy name of Jesus. That's at this point, barely past the resurrection. That is central to our faith. 
the holy name of Jesus. It is the very living presence of the Lord Jesus. We have a rather too minor a feast in January of the holy name. We used to have a society because to help men who use the name of the Lord in vain to call the holy name society. It was a men's group in almost all parishes. We should start that again. But all of us, not just men, but all of us. In your name, O Lord, I will do it in your name. The name is the way we call people. The name is the way we express who we are. The name is how we communicate. And this is why we pray always in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's why we begin and end our lecture divina in the name of the Blessed Trinity. So let's think always about that in our life of faith. We are servants of the name. We are on the way. We're called to be the holy ones of the Lord. We're not just sort of drifting along. And he says, what's he going to, this unknown, this person you're going to go and see, what is he going to be, have promised to him? I have chosen him to bring my name all over the world so that he may be glorified, that he may be the most famous of apostles, that he might even have an icon right over there. No, he doesn't say that. What is the reward? This side of paradise. So that he will be told how much he must suffer for the sake of the name. How much he must suffer. Our symbol is the crucifix. It's not the happy face. This is deep. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road on which, by which you came sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized and took food and was strengthened. There we are, this little disciple from Damascus baptizes Saul and lays his hands upon him. The scales fall from his eyes and he who was blind when he could see and could see when he was blind now can both see visually, visibly in an earthy way and now he can see, at least begin to see because he has to go to Jerusalem to get it right. He doesn't want to preach in the name of Saul. He's very careful to do certain things. He goes to Jerusalem to get it checked out with the apostles. And later on, he goes to Arabia to spend some more time in prayer. That's why we have the spiritual year in our seminary. We have, you have a time apart before you get on the road. He did a lot before he began to travel around the Mediterranean. And so we need to think of that. It's interesting how Ananias calls him Brother Saul. You can imagine he's trembling. Oh, uh, and somehow the Lord has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's also, this is very much like what um, our Lord does when he raises someone from the day. So go give her the little girl, give her something to eat. It's very practical. So, 
For several days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and in the synagogues immediately he proclaimed Jesus, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called on this name? And he has come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This boldness, he's now on fire. The fire he caught from the fire of theophany, having been purified by the fire of purification. He's filled with boldness. That word is found throughout the Acts of the Apostles. We're not to be timid in our faith, not aggressive, but not timid. We're simply to be joyfully bold, not holding back, but proclaiming the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, both now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. That's the pontifical blessing we use for, you know, for vespers, when a bishop gives a blessing. Why not just say that every day? Start the day with that. It's a nice prayer. Blessed be the name of the Lord, both now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. There we are. It's like a, a psalm. I often do retreats in the psalms for priests um, because I study literature a lot. I study the scriptures, so I do that a lot. And there's one psalm on a Wednesday morning, the office of readings, where the priests say when they pray their breviary. And there's a, it's it just boldness reminds me of it. Uh, where the psalmist says, you know, with my God, I can scale any wall. Boom, you know. That's the boldness. And I remember I once was there and the bishop, the diocese was sitting there with the priests. And I said, you know, all across the diocese of X on Wednesday morning, the doors of the rectories fling open. The priests leap forward and say, with my God, I can scale any wall. Eager. And he said, that reminds me of the story of the little mouse that fell into the vat of whiskey. It swam around, crawled out the other side, and said, bring on the cats. <laughs> this, I don't know whether this is in any of the spiritual fathers of the church, but this is the point, the boldness we are to have. Bring on the cats. Um, well, maybe that's not the most profound thing, but there we are. So when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night to kill him. So he who had been doing the killing is now, he was a killer, now he's a killee, I guess you could say. But his disciples took him by night and let him down over the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, isn't that ridiculous? Here we have the majestic, <laughs> like sort of get some pictures like over there, St. Paul and surrounded by gold. The great one, called by the Lord God himself, and they're kind of lowering in a basket over the wall, a little humiliating. Well, that's kind of part of the, the deal as well. Not only will he suffer for the Lord, but he also occasionally looks like an idiot for the Lord too. And that's part of the deal too. You can't be standing, I am, what do you mean? I am the apostle to the Gentiles as he goes over the wall, no. You gotta get a little humility. That's why whenever before we, we let any priests or deacons or bishops loosen the people of God, we have them flat on the floor and we all ask for God's mercy. Down, get down. Well, we, we, let's, let's hope we can do a bit of that too. So 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. I don't know why, but they, they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Barnabas, took him in and brought him the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. At the name of Jesus. Let's think about that. Let's get deeply committed to be people on the way, boldly proclaiming the name of the Lord. And that means more than just saying it just with our lips. Boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among the Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. There's a certain repetition of a theme here. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So this is the second time he's had to flee. And when the brethren knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him home, off to Tarsus. So this is a dramatic experience. Amazing. It starts with Saul the persecutor, single-mindedly using his many, many talents to organize destruction. And then, wow, he's, he has this experience of theophany, of the glory of the Lord. And that has to be, it is, must be, at the heart of who we are as disciples. Those who have been touched by the glory of the Lord through the sacraments, through the word of God, that's what it's all about. This isn't some kind of religious organization we're in. It's those who've been touched by the glory of the Lord that they might proclaim boldly the name of Jesus. And so when that had all happened, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, it was built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. Maybe that gives us a, a, a hint of what we do when we face, how do we not just survive, but flourish as the servants of the Lord in this world, which is so ferociously anti-Christian. I mean, it's just amazing. And certainly some of our brothers and sisters in Christ from distant lands, many of whom flee to here, have had horrible things, horrible things that they've experienced, direct persecution. We simply have suppression, not persecution. It's not yet at that stage. But you look at the way people squeezed out, you know, the, the ferociousness. So we have got to, I mean, we could do our planning. We should use our heads, as God tells us to, you know, use, put our heads in so prominent a place in our bodies. We should think it through. And we should be purified. We need to be purified by the power of the Lord. Humble. Maybe we don't have to go out of in a basket over the wall, but we need to be humble. But above all, we must recognize that we are engaged in an enterprise that is not human. It's, I think of Edmund Campion and Campion's brag. I wish I could remember more of it, but the enterprise has begun. The, you know, it, is, it is of God, it cannot fail. When he went back, he went back, back to England where he knew he would be killed, which he was. Uh, uh, one of the Jesuit martyrs of England the, he was much like Paul. He was brilliant and talented. And he, went, he got out of 
the wicked reign of Elizabeth. He got over to Europe, he, and then he, he headed back, back to where he knew he would be a martyr. In fact, one of his friendly fellow seminarians put the word martyr over his, his door, just to kind of encourage him, I guess. And sure enough, he went, and then he was, you know, going from priest hole to priest hole all over England, and he put out this challenge to the lords of England. And it's just wonderful, called Campion's Brag. I wish Brad could read it out, but, but it, it ends off, he says, thus, the, thus, what was it? Thus the faith was planted, thus shall it be restored. It is of God, it cannot fail. So there we are. And he went joyfully to his most bitter and gruesome martyrdom. That's what it's all about. We can't dumb down our faith. We can't, we just, we mustn't live at this superficial level. I mean, this, this we're, you know, we're, they're shooting real bullets, you might say. This isn't something where we just, this isn't, this isn't like a, a drill. And so we've got to go deep. Maybe this Lent can be a time to help each one of us do so. We've got to go deep. And it all begins in the presence of the fire of the theophany of the Lord God and in receiving him deep into our hearts. And so we ask, what do these words say? To my head that I may know him, to my heart that I may love him, to my hands that I may serve him. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said to him, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, well, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer 
for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and took food and was strengthened. For several days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And in the synagogues immediately he proclaimed Jesus, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called on this name? And he has come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down, led him down over the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brethren knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. 